Please bow your heads and your hearts in prayer with me. God of all glory and grace, we know that your word is sufficient. Because of the work of your Holy Spirit, your word is sufficient to to change us. We know that your word is sufficient to cause us to worship you rightly. Your word is sufficient to cause us to uh, repent of our sin and to desire you above the things that are far less worthy of being desired. God, we pray that even as your word teaches us specifically today about being obedient to you as your servants, we pray that we will be motivated by your magnificence, God. We thank you for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Christ is the head of his own body. Jesus is the shepherd of his own flock, the church, those who belong to God by faith in him. And he presently sits at the, as he presently sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for his people, he has not left us on earth without leadership. Jesus has given to his people the presence of the indwelling spirit, and through his spirit, he gives to the church, the church and in local flocks, he gives us servant leaders who will shepherd God's flock in that field to worship God through Jesus Christ according to his own will as we are directed in his word. This is how God has ordained that we will not be a bunch of people sheep wandering around chaotically, wondering what to do with ourselves, not knowing how best to follow Christ's mission for his people. So God graciously gives us his spirit, and by his spirit, he graciously gives us servant leaders in the local church. So at the close of Paul's third missionary journey, we we heard in Acts 20 of Paul stopping at Miletus, and he sends for and gathers together the elders from the church at Ephesus. And as Paul speaks to the elders from Ephesus, we hear Paul's impassioned plea for the Ephesian elders to model their own selfless shepherding after the pattern that he set for them. And so last week, we looked at Acts 20, verses 17 to 27, and we, we set out four things If we would follow Paul's example of selfless shepherding as he follows Christ, like Pastor Rich read from Philippians 2, if we would follow Paul's example of selfless shepherding, we must first live transparently in service to the Lord. He says to them, you know. And we are, in order to serve the Lord, we're serving others in humility, in sincerity, he says, with tears, and perseverance through trials. And then we also pointed out that we must prioritize direct and persistent gospel proclamation through biblical teaching. Paul focuses on this in verses 20 and 21, again in verse 27, when he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God as it points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, that we must be sensitive and obedient to the Lord's leading, Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit to continue to Jerusalem in spite of all the warnings he was given. 
because he was keeping an eternal perspective on safety and on ministry. If this is what God had for him, he would move forward in it. And finally, as Paul, even as Paul speaks about himself, we must finish the race with a clear conscience that we withheld nothing of the truth of God or of selfless effort. And so now as we transition to this week, there will be a little bit more direct instruction from Paul to the Ephesian elders while yet again talking about himself as an example of his expectation for them. So now pick up with me in verse 28 of Acts 20. And Paul now is addressing them directly and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, elders in Ephesus, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, the leadership team, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, warning you from God's word. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Remember we said last time, what would you say to someone if you knew this or if you believed this was the last time you were going to see them face to face? And so we hear Paul's impassioned plea for them to be selfless shepherds, for them to focus, and here in this text especially, to be very vigilant. So here's a summary statement of what we want to be sure we see from God's word this morning. And I'm sorry it's kind of long because it has three overlapping parts. Faithful under-shepherding requires a commitment to constant vigilance over ourselves and those we serve, constant vigilance. And it requires a commitment to guarding the biblical integrity of our teaching. And it requires a commitment to selfless care for those that we serve. The reason I'm highlighting and using the term shepherding here is because it's the metaphor used in the text. Where it says to care for the church of God, it's one word, a verb, to shepherd. Here and elsewhere in the New Testament, shepherding is used to describe the role and the responsibility of elders, of overseers. In the local church, we get our term pastors from this very concept of shepherding. You picture David 
you picture the metaphors that Christ used of himself. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the reason that we use the term under-shepherd is because it's a healthy way for us to remember as we, anyone who's given this responsibility to serve in such a capacity, using the term under-shepherd is a healthy reminder of what we started with this morning, that there is a chief shepherd who is the head of the church, even Jesus Christ. We are simply his servants for the sake of the local church. We are under-shepherds. Now, of course, this, what we're going to talk about today is not everything that the Bible says about eldership qualifications. You can go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. It doesn't say everything that there is to say about eldership responsibilities, but we will focus on what this text says about the responsibilities of elders. So these three overarching things we'll emphasize today and in fact, I'm going to list and show you as many important aspects of this commitment and responsibility as I can see arising directly from the text. So I believe there, there are nine. You can count them as we go. As we go through them, although the direct application then is to the chief servants in the church, you can and you should be willing to apply each of these to yourself and to your situation. For example, it's not unfair here to change the word under shepherds to God's servants and then apply it to, in some way, to your own attitudes, to your own priorities, to your own actions, to your own words. So as we go through these and you see under shepherds, you could just put God's servants and try to apply it to yourself. Now let's move forward. In verse 28, kind of in Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders, it acts like a transition to this point, he had given his example among them as a pattern to follow, and now he provides some direct instruction to them, Will, which, which then, as we said, in, again includes his own example. But I want you to see and apply at least three things from verse 28, at least these three things. You may be able to find even more. Number one, under shepherds must be on guard for their own spiritual health and moral purity. God's servants must be on guard for their own spiritual health and moral purity. The verse says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Selfless shepherds must be vigilant for their integrity. Be vigilant for their spiritual health. Be vigilant for their moral purity. Be on guard against your own sinful inclinations. Take heed lest you fall. How many times have you tragically heard of churches being ripped apart by the sin in the lives of those who are the servant leaders among them? We must be vigilant about our own spiritual growth, health. We must be applying the truths of the gospel of God from his word to ourselves at all times. In the same breath, Paul also says to keep watch over the flock. Be vigilant over your own selves, your own hearts, and keep watch over the flock. 
The word overseer, in fact, means guardian, a leader who watches over. That's why you'll hear me keep repeating in these statements that the text says, under shepherds must be on guard. But here, just for a little variety, I'll I'll word this one another way. (laughs) Shepherding care for others never sleeps. Shepherding care for others never sleeps. Be on guard for the protection of the flock. In verse 31, it says, be alert, keep awake, don't go to sleep. Picture yourself as a shepherd and imagine that you had to try to do it alone and you didn't have a team and you couldn't have like a rotation to take turns. You're not allowed to go to sleep. As soon as you fall asleep, the wolves, the bears, the lions attack and you're not paying attention. The wisdom of God is amazing because he has designed that elders be a plurality, a team. We're in a, if you're talking about shepherding, we're like, we're in a rotation. We're not doing this ourselves. Or maybe there's two at a time and Rich reaches over and slaps me and says, Jeff, wake up. This is no time to sleep. A rotation of night watches, a sharing of responsibilities, because shepherding never sleeps. As we said, as soon as you doze off, the trouble comes. When David was a shepherd and before God allowed him to kill Goliath, he had evidently already killed a lion and a bear, perhaps more than once from the sounds of it when he describes it to Saul. A pretty dangerous job is shepherding. So as we see even in our own text, which we'll come to shortly, there are very real dangers that threaten the safety and health of God's people. So shepherds must remain awake and vigilant at all times for the protection of the flock. Christians must remain awake and vigilant at all times for our own souls and the souls of people around us. There is quite literally a battle for people's eternal souls raging from Satan and his demons, and then the sinful depravity of our own hearts against God's glory and the worship of God for all eternity. There's a battle raging for our hearts. We can't sleep. And so the New Testament will tell us at times, wake up! Along with these things in verse 28, we also get a healthy and heavy dose of the seriousness and the responsibility before God of being chief servants. Under shepherds are accountable to God. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd his church. Not only does this emphasize the Holy Spirit's role in the selection process, but every flock of true believers, every local church belongs to the Lord. They're his. We are his. That ought to keep us humble. That ought to help us remember our place. Does God want to use me? Yeah. Does God need me? No. Can he use others to do this? Yeah. It keeps us humble. And it reminds us of the seriousness of the responsibility. Godly under-shepherds must recognize the seriousness of their responsibility before God. Although these human flock members do not blindly follow because they too 
you too are growing believers who have God's word and, and have the indwelling spirit. Even though that's true, it doesn't diminish the significant degree to which this flock or another flock entrusts a great deal of responsibility to the elders and guidance of the local church. You're putting a lot of trust in the servant leaders here. And they don't take that responsibility lightly. To underscore the seriousness of the responsibility in relationship to God, again here, the Holy Spirit is credited with appointing you as shepherds. God's own church that he purchased with his own blood. This is God's own flock. Don't you think God is worthy to have healthy under-shepherds who prioritize healthy teaching and who prioritize sacrificial service? Is God not worthy? Is God, wor- not, is God worthy of anything less than our very best? Especially since everything that we are and have is from him in the first place? And then particularly as his children through faith in Christ, shouldn't we be acutely aware of the price that God himself paid through Christ's sacrifice for sin with his own life? Now in verses 29 and 30, Paul draws their attention to the fact that he's going and he won't be with them. So, so they, he says, you will have to face false teachers in my absence who will attack members of Christ's flock in Ephesus. The metaphor is an echo from Jesus himself who said in Matthew 7 verses 15 to 17 in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of false prophets who will come to you in shepherds or in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And then he transitions to another metaphor and says, "You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You'll know them by their fruits." Two things get me about Jesus' two metaphors here. One, that the wolves are sneaky. They're hiding in plain sight, meaning we don't know that's what they're at. That what's the, that's what they're up to at first. We don't know that's what they're doing at the beginning. And then secondly, knowing a tree by its fruit means that it could take time. Trees don't bear fruit until they reach maturity. And trees only bear fruit in season. So these two things combine to me to mean that we must be, pers- be persistently vigilant. We can't let our guard down. So back in our, our text for today, we'll say it like this. Under shepherds must be on guard against false teachers, masquerading as sincere Christ followers and teammates. Masquerading as teammates. Masquerading as sincere Christ followers. But they're in it for themselves. The problem with falsehood falsehood is that it is rarely blatant. Falsehood is almost always subtly invasive. Wolves dress like sheep. A virus looking like a harmless software update. A pragmatic solution to a problem that only slightly diverts you from your primary purpose as a church. A theological drift that is increasingly man-centered instead of God-centered. 
or the external pressures of culture to be less closed-minded about certain moral dilemmas that are actually seem pretty clear in God's word. We could go on. Now, to make matters worse, some of these distorted perversions of the truth, Paul calls them twisted things, some of these twisted things will come from within your own ranks with a desire to draw away disciples after themselves. Oh, no, we're saying we might have problems with the, the very guys I'm talking to you. Some of you might turn out to be wrongly motivated. Such problems are not merely theoretical because when Paul writes later to Timothy, whom he had left in Ephesus to help the church there, we find out that such false teaching had arisen from their own ranks. These are not empty warnings. And this is such a healthy and needed counterbalance for me personally to my peacemaking mentality. I'm a peacemaker. By God's grace, I'm hopefully not a peacemaker in a desire to please men, but to please God. So I strive to be sure that teammates are making peace as much as possible in spite of differences and disagreements, even conflicts that we may have had. But it's good and necessary for me to remember that we must be on guard against false doctrines that undermine God's authority and his word. And people who would would pull away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and are motivated by selfish ambition. And that's going to be our next point. One of the key markers, which may take time and a lot of attentiveness, vigilance to recognize, is selfish motivation to draw away disciples after them. But we will know them by their fruit. <laughs> So under-shepherds must be on guard against selfish ambition, their own selfish ambition, and hold their fellow under-shepherds accountable to the same. We must protect against external false teaching and be alert to the propensity in ourselves to be wrongly motivated for selfish gain. Do you understand that the problem is if you don't, if you don't work together with other people, if you're not... If you're not a person who's humble and teachable, you're not already looking at the, the, the fellow Christians around you and going, I should learn from Lance, I should, should learn from Ryan, I should learn from Paul, I should learn from Rich, I should learn from Matthew, I should learn from Dustin. If I don't have that kind of posture, I'm the last one to figure out that I'm an arrogant jerk. Am I right? If you don't have a posture of teachability, you don't know you're doing it. And because of the sinfulness of our hearts, we may not begin that way, but we may move that way. Like I start, now it's about self-preservation. It's not about what's best for this local church. It's not about expanding the kingdom. It's about building Jeffy kingdom. So maybe not everyone starts out with a specific plan to be divisive, to push their own position. But in other words, we must be on guard against our own sinful propensities. For any of, and all of us, but especially for leaders, then there must be mutual accountability. Without accountability, the most sincere might go astray. 
It should never be lonely at the top. How many of you have heard that said before? It's lonely at the top. It should never be lonely at the top because you shouldn't be alone at the top. The truth is you're at the bottom. (laughs) You're trying to form the foundation as the chief shepherds of the church. So reverse it anyways. You shouldn't be lonely at the bottom because that's a hard fall waiting to happen, which results in the defamation of the name of Christ. I'll just throw myself under the bus here to illustrate. If Jeff always does and gets what he wants as like some kind of supreme leader, what happens when Jeff doesn't have all the pertinent information? What happens when Jeff is biased in some way? What happens when Jeff is wrongly motivated by selfish ambition? Well, disaster. Notice the wisdom of God in a plurality of elders protecting against the sin and mistakes of a single individual. Faithful under-shepherding requires, then, as we've seen, a commitment to constant vigilance over ourselves and those we serve. And a key part of that, as we continue, is we see that a key part of that is guarding the theological integrity of our own teaching from the Word of God. Verse 31 repeats, be alert and follow the example I set for you over the three years that I was with you, warning you against such things. Have we not seen plainly what Paul uses to warn? What does Paul use to warn? You can tell me. What do you think Paul used to warn them? The gospel of Jesus Christ from the word of God. That's how he warned them. You have sinful ambition. You must be alert to it. You need to confess and repent. You need to be ready. So what is the chief protection against false teaching? To prioritize direct and persistent gospel proclamation through biblical teaching. What did Paul say in verse 20? How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So under shepherds must understand that individual and corporate health depends on clear and persistent gospel proclamation through biblical teaching. What did Paul warn and counsel with? Well, in his benediction prayer in verse 32, it gives it away. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What's the word of his grace? The gospel through the written word of God. As we said last week, it's an emphatic focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ from all corners of God's revealed will in his word. Because what does the word do besides guarding against falsehood? The word helps us guard against falsehood. The word, Paul speaks of the power of the word of grace to do its work when it's faithfully taught to be believed and obeyed. Again, verse 32 this prayer of benediction, entrusting them to God and to, to the power of the word of grace to do its work. When, it's faithful, when God's word is faithfully believed and obeyed, it will build you up and give you the final inheritance, sanctified, fully set apart. If we will let God's word do its work and we will believe it and obey it, that's why we say around here, Even if the hard thing is to obey God's word, it gives us the best chance of repenting and glorifying God and being blessed by God. 
even when it's the hardest thing to do. So you might say to yourself, man, that practicing church discipline is so awkward, we ought never to do that. But if the Bible teaches that the best chance for the unrepentant is to be disciplined and told, you can't fellowship here until you repent. If that's what God's word says to do, then what must we do to give them the best chance to respond in repentance? We must do that. Everything else is selfish. Everything else is thinking that we know better than God. Isn't that ludicrous? And so even if it's difficult, God says, this is the best thing for you. And we must do that thing. And so godly shepherds, we also see in verse 32, must entrust their efforts and people to God and must maintain a focus on teaching and obedience to the word of grace because the word of grace is God's chosen means by which he builds up and sanctifies all the saints for their inheritance in Christ. And now now there's a, a shift here. We're going to kind of pick up pace as we move toward the end. Verses 33 to 35, Paul again gives his, his example for them to, be, to not be motivated by monetary gain. He says he didn't covet their stuff. He was willing to do work with his hands, tent making, leather working, to help meet his needs and, and the needs of those who were his companions. We'll hear Paul say other places in the New Testament that it is not wrong for ministers of the word to... Uh, receive their compensation for doing that. But Paul says, if it helps you, whatever it takes, I will work with my hands so as not to be a burden to you. I will work with my hands so as to set you an example of working hard to help those who need it more than we do. Under shepherds must be on guard against material greed and should instead view their ministry as opportunity to sacrificially help those in need. God's servants must be on guard against material greed. God's servants should instead view all ministry as opportunity to sacrificially help those who have greater need, who may be weak for some reason. Servant leaders don't use their position for personal gain, but instead view themselves as servants of Christ who follow his example of sacrificial giving of their lives. Paul says, I've shown you a model to to selflessly help the weak rather than taking advantage of of my authority and my leadership for for any personal gain. Jesus' own words Paul uses, and he says, Christ once said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive in the long run. Remember how short-sighted we are? It's better in the long run to give than to receive. And what's interesting here is that this is a giving saying from Jesus that isn't recorded anywhere else in the New Testament. Remember the words of John toward the end of his gospel? He says in John 21, 25, now there are many other things that Jesus did, many of the things that Jesus said. If, if all of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. A deliberate hyperbole to say a lot of stuff. And so this is something that was passed down, and Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to to receive. It is better to help the weak rather than to use a position for personal gain. And now we move towards the 
the saying the prayerful and tearful goodbyes between Paul and the Ephesian elders. Verse 36, under shepherds humbly depend on the same Lord to whom they are accountable. God's servants humbly depend on this same Lord to whom we are accountable. Even as Jesus himself modeled for his disciples during his earthly days, how many times do we see Jesus going off to pray, but Jesus especially in fervent prayer before any big decisions, time and time again. Luke loved to point it out in his gospel. And so, just, just so Paul models dependency on God once again in praying with all of them. We pray exactly as much as we think we need God's help. Are you listening? We pray exactly as much as we think we need God's help. Are you convicted? (laughs) I sure am. When you're responsible for your own soul, and then you're a parent, you're a boss, you're a, a ministry leader in the church, you're a chief shepherd in the church, the weight of the responsibility of the accountability to God should bring you to your knees in utter dependence on God. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, work in people's lives. We cannot do this. You can. We depend on you. God, give us a unique wisdom in situations here to apply principles of your word. This isn't something that's stated specifically. We just don't know for sure. God, would you give us wisdom? God, would you help us to be unselfish? God, would you help me not to retaliate? God, help me. God, would you guard my heart from lust, from greed, from selfishness? God, help me. Is that how you're living your Christian life? In the morning and at night? I've had really good, healthy conversations with some of the young men in the youth group, and we were just talking about things like having a quiet time and and meeting with God and not doing it as a checklist, but as an opportunity to meet with God and to start your day realizing, you are my focus, I need you, I depend on you. And then you'll discover throughout the day that you're actually focused on God and depending on him because you started that way, and then hopefully you end the day reflecting, God, how did I do? Will you help me tomorrow? If you should let me be here tomorrow, help me to grow in you and know you better tomorrow. And finally, God's servants love one another sincerely in Christ Jesus. The tearful and heartfelt, sincere goodbyes are a true reflection of the deep connections we make in Christ, especially when we're serving together in ministry side by side. Some of you know very well what that feels like, even here with the imperfect sheep that you serve with. And when we, say, when we must say goodbye to one another, let it not be with 
good riddance under our breath. But with sincere tears and prayers for God's continued work in one another's lives and using us for his kingdom. God, do great things. Bear rich fruit in their lives for your glory. We're so sad that they can't be with us anymore. But would you use them? Just let me reiterate in conclusion that everything we have said here can also be applied to all of us as God's servant, to, to, as God's servants, to all of us in whatever capacity we might be his servant leaders. But let's restate our summary. Find faithful under-shepherding requires a commitment to constant vigilance over ourselves and those we serve, a commitment to guarding the biblical integrity of our teaching, and a commitment to selfless care for those we serve. I'm going to broaden and extend the application just a tiny bit before we conclude, so bear with me. This will be very brief. Healthy ministry in the body of Christ requires being vigilant of our own character and holding one another accountable to God. This applies to every one of us. We must be vigilant about our own character before God, and we must hold one another accountable. And secondly, healthy ministry in the local church requires helping our servant leaders maintain constant guarding of themselves and of sound biblical teaching. The reason I want to point this out to you is that I am sometimes concerned in the body of Christ that we misunderstand what it means to be submissive. And so I'll just use the example of God creating man and woman and giving woman to be a helpmeet to the man. And the New Testament talks about a wife being submissive to her husband, right? But that does not mean blind obedience. In order to be a helpmeet, you have to help. Right? So if your husband is, is sinning, if your husband is wrongly motivated, you need to help. Who else does he have that close to him to help him? To kindly say, are you sure you're motivated the way you think you are aiming to be? Somebody has to help. And so I say the same thing is true of the body of Christ. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You are studying God's word. And so you have this healthy balance of we're trusting and we're submitting, but we're not afraid to ask questions and maybe even push back a little. Hey, where are we going with this? It's a healthy need in the body of Christ. We need you to help us maintain a, guardian, a guardianship of ourselves and of sound biblical teaching. And finally, healthy ministry in the local church requires that we set aside earthly gain and we choose God being pleased with us, sacrificially serving one another like Jesus. Is it not better to have God say, well done, than for you to get some earthly gain? You need to ask yourself that and pray about it. Is it not better for the smile of God on your life rather than some kind of earthly gain? I challenge you to ask that question, to pray about it, and let God's word be a mirror of your heart. Let's pray as the praise team comes back.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the way that it challenges us. You know, you know that in my own heart, life, mind, I am so grateful to you for, for being raised in a church that prioritizes expository preaching of God's word because then I just have to sit humbly under your word, God, and be challenged by it so that you will change me. Use these truths to work in my heart and in my life and in my mind. Use the fellow believers around me to help me to see blind spots. May they take the truth of your word and, and use it like a flashlight to shine in the corners of my heart. Lord, may we do that for one another, not because we're so good and self-righteous, but because we love you and we desire for you to do this in us. God, help us to be faithful so that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will be advanced and you will be glorified. In his name we pray, amen. I trust that you will pray that prayer this morning and this week. I trust that you recognize that God is a perfectly holy God. He is other. And that because of our sin... We have made ourselves his enemies. The only way to be at peace with God is through what God himself has offered, through the perfect sacrifice and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you will put your faith in him, you will have peace with God. You will have new life. And so I trust that you will pray, maybe for the first time, God, I need you. Will you save me through Jesus? I repent of my sin and I believe the gospel, will you save me? And Christians, the reason we sing a song like this is because we know how much we need him. Not just once, but we continue to need him. And so may we pray this week that we will abide in Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, he will bear fruit. When I think about this week, I think to myself, I can't, but God can. I will not be able to do this, but he can. So we cling to him and we abide in him. Let's pray for that in closing. Our gracious God, we pray again for any heart here that is not submitting to you. By your, the work of your Holy Spirit, would you take your word and, and convict them? Do not let them be settled or comfortable anymore in their sin. Break their hearts and their self-will self -will and cause them to depend on you alone to save them through Jesus Christ. And God, help them to recognize that it will be the best decision that they will make for, not only for this life, but for all eternity, to gain you a relationship with the one true God. Lord, for, for those of us that you have rescued by faith because of your grace, we desire to be to belong wholly to you this week. And so help us to abide in you. Help us to cling to you and depend on you. God, I pray that through your people, you will bear rich fruit by your grace and for your glory. We ask all these things in the name of our sufficient Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.